Our text this morning is uh, Numbers 25, and it is part two of what we looked at last week of Balaam, and uh, Balaam's wanting to curse the children of Israel, and yet God caused him to bless them and to prophesy, even prophesy the coming of Christ. And, um, but you remember, I read you a few verses about Balaam's character, what other scripture had to say about Balaam. And we read this in Numbers 31, verse 16, and it gives a commentary on this chapter. And by the way, Psalm 106 gives a commentary as well. Uh, It said, These women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to transgress against the Lord in the incident of Peor. So these women, these women uh, in Moab, so what the sword could not do, God wanted, um, I, I mean, Balak wanted Balaam to curse the nation of Israel so he could defeat them. If they were cursed, then he might could defeat them with a sword. And God wouldn't allow that, and so he, he called them blessed and said, I've given them my blessing. And so Balaam gave some counsel about causing them to fall spiritually. And so this is what chapter 25 is about. Now remember, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us uh, that these things happen to them as examples to us upon the end of the earth come and that we shouldn't fall in the same sin. And we have, uh, we're tempted to. We're tempted to and often we do. So we're going to look at this. And here's the history, verse 1 through 3. Now Israel remained in a keg grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab, and also the Midianite women. There, they, the Midianites were a nomadic tribe, and they were associated with the Moabites. And so in this chapter, you have both, and predominantly you have something about the Midianite women. So they, they remained there, they committed, they, they began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab, they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. So the women invited the people of Israel, the men of Israel, to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Okay, harlotry, uh, adultery, is a sin of the flesh. It's a sin of the weakness of the flesh. But what it led to, I was reading what Spurgeon had to say, what it led to, and he said it often does, it led to idolatry on their behalf. When you look at the religion of of worship of Baal, it it involved prostitution, it involved sexuality. A lot of times when you have a religion that is a religion of the flesh, it's a religion of works of the flesh, and you're worshiping a false idol, you're going to have sensuality involved in that, and, and then it leads to uh, adultery, it leads to uh, harlotry, and it, become, it becomes very attractive. Can you just imagine, if, if, if you were to meet a man who didn't know anything about Scripture, didn't know anything other than just the natural revelation of God, but you meet a man, and I'm speaking to you men, you meet a man and... and possibly some women, but you meet a man and you tell him that here's the way you worship. You go to the temple and engage in sexual behavior with the people there at the temple and you're worshiping, you're pleasing your God and you're assuring your eternal life. 
you'd have a crowd. You, you would have a mega church. I mean, you, you would have, it's true, isn't it? But, I mean, what, what else would you appeal to? So that's, see, that's, that's how smart the devil is, and that's what he's done through idol worship o- over the years, and this is what uh, takes place. Adultery, let me say it again, adultery is, is a weakness of the flesh. The Bible said the, what the fourth commandment tells us we to do that. Is that fourth commandment, third commandment, sixth commandment, somewhere in there. It's, it's one of those, and uh, he tells us not to commit adultery. But because it is natural for us to do it. It's a weakness of the flesh. Idolatry is a rejection of God. Idolatry is much more serious than adultery. Now, adultery is serious and it will destroy your life. But idolatry will destroy your soul. And that's, and that's the major difference. So when we're going through this, I want you to remember that major difference. So what Balaam could not do by cursing, he gives this counsel, and the counsel now is being carried out. We don't know the time frame, how long this is going on. Here's what Spurgeon said, that whoredom and idolatry went together. They first defiled and debauched their consciousness by committing lewdness with the women, and then were easily drawn in in complacence to them and to the contempt of the God of Israel to bow down to their idols. The uncleanliness committed was a part of the worship and service performed to Baal Peor, and it was enough to bring the judgment of God upon them. The principle is the very same today. We who are the children of God uh, can never be harmed by the devil. The devil cannot harm you. He can fool you. He can lie to you, but he cannot harm you. He cannot possess your soul. He cannot destroy your salvation. He can destroy your life, and he, but he does it. He, he, he can't do it through the outward physical things. He does it through causing us to distrust God. I hope, I hope you remember that and are, are aware of that. But only by uh, giving in to the sins of the flesh or, the, or the, the lure of the world. So we have the judgment given. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people... And hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Now, this must have been very widespread. Uh, when, you, when you go to, uh, I think it is Psalm 106, um, and you find that there are 24,000 people died during this time, and uh, not all of them were hanged, but, uh, well, 23,000 of them evidently died of a plague, which we'll see the plague in just a moment, but probably, so about 1,000 people, leaves about 1,000 people who probably were hanged out in the sun. And when we read this here, you're saying that you get the judges of the people, so you get the leadership of the people, now this is... See, it's not vigilantism, but it's the leadership of the people and the judges of the people, and they're, they're bringing righteous judgment and going and hanging these uh, men and maybe some women before the Lord, but probably, probably men, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Join to Baal. See, that's the issue. The issue is that they were joined to Baal, uh, this God. This action of hanging them publicly, outwardly, would be 
Um, it, it, it would be a shock to the people. They would see that this, this is what this leads to. This is the judgments that's going to come. And uh, they would cause them maybe to be uh, a little hesitant about getting involved in Baal worship or any kind of idol worship. So that's going on. So these people are being hanged publicly throughout, throughout the nation, the, the, the crowd, the camp. They're being hanged. And, uh, but now um, something else happens. Verse 6, And indeed one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle. This man's going to be named. His name is Zimri, and her name is Cosby. And, and so they'll be named later in this chapter. But so what happens is that instead of being where the worship of Baal was taking place, outside the camp, he brings this woman right by the tabernacle where Moses and the leadership of Israel are weeping. So they're praying to God about this plague that's happening in the in the. In the in the congregation, they're praying about uh, this wickedness that's going on, and he brings this woman, this Midianite woman, to have adultery with her, brings her right into their presence, and goes right into, I guess, his his tent. Um, and we learn that he's a leader, and she's a leader of her of the Midianite. She comes from a leadership family. He comes from a leadership family. And so he, he, he defies Moses and God. Isn't that something? Spurgeon said this, He did not think it enough to go out with his harlot to worship the gods of Moab, but when he had done that, he brought her with him to dishonor the God of Israel. I think it's very telling that in all the history of Israel, and you have these millions of people of, of Israel coming out of Egypt, they have these millions of people, and these two people are named. They're, they're named, and their names living in infamity, all, infamity all, all these years. Uh, that, that we, we know their name. We know their sin. We know their judgment that came upon them. What, what a terrible thing that this leader did. So... Uh, Psalm 36 begins with this description of a person who sins. So let me read you the beginning of Psalm 36. Concerning the transgression of the wicked, there is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good, and he does not abhor evil. So that's describing Zimri and bringing this lady, woman, not lady, but a woman named Cosby and bringing him right by the tabernacle, defying God, defying Moses, defying the leadership of Israel, defying God. What a, what a horrendous sin. So what happens? God judges him and God uses his instruments, uh, people who love him. Verse 7, now when... Uh, Phinehas, Phinehas uh, the son of Eliezer. Eliezer was the son of Aaron. The priest saw it. Now, Eliezer is already the high priest. And 
Phinehas is his son, so he's going to be the next high priest after Eliezer. So when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rode from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, or a type of a sword, or a type of a spear, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. So the plague was stopped. 24,000 died. Okay, and then we read in Psalm 100, and, or First Corinthians 10 and verse 8, we read that 23,000 died in this plague. So probably 1,000 then were hanged and 23,000 died of a plague. We don't know exactly what the plague was. We had read earlier of the plague of the serpents biting them or people dying from those snake bites. But So we don't know what this plague was. We don't know if it was a venereal disease or that just rapidly took place or we don't know exactly what it was or God just allowed them to get sick and, and to die. But the plague was killing people, thousands of people. Moses and the congregation, the leadership are weeping at the tent of meeting at the tabernacle. And so this man acts. Now, again, it's not a vigilantiac. He has a right to it. He's a leader in Israel. He's one of the judges. He's going to be the, he's going to be the next high priest. And so um, evidently this judgment was enough to shock the people and to stop the plague uh, and maybe to stop the behavior because we just read that. And in verse 8, so the plague, the bottom of verse 8, the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Now, we're going to learn why, what God had to say about this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel. And I want you to keep reading with me. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. So he he did this out of his zealousness for God. Okay? So not for personal gain or not out of personal vindictiveness, but he did it out of zealousness for God. He, he, he recognized the idolatry and what was happening, and he did it out of zealousness for God. Here's the, here's the theology of it and the end of this verse 13. Here's what God is saying. He was, he was zealous for his God, and he made atonement for the children of Israel. He made atonement. How is atonement made? Atonement is made by the shedding of blood. Now, we don't do human sacrifices. The children of Israel didn't do human, human sacrifices. But all the lambs that were offered, all the bulls, all the goats, all, <clears throat> all the blood that was offered uh, in their history was an atonement. It was saying, God, God said, the, life's in, the Scripture said, the life's in the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So, the bloodshed is an atonement, then the atonement. Now think about, think about if, if we had the ark here, the Holy of Holies, 
and the, the golden seeds above it, and the cherubim are there. And God said that between above that seed and between those cherubim, I will meet with you. But the only way God would meet with them is that the high priest came in once a year, and he took the sacrificial blood. He had already cleansed himself, the sacrifice. And he takes the sacrificial blood, and he puts it on the mercy seat. And the sins of the people are atoned for. Think what's inside that ark. Inside that ark is the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments represent the moral holiness of God. And the people broke every one of them. And I do too. And you do as well. And, and we, can't, we can't not do it because we're sinners. Now, we don't break every one of them every day. But we, we, break, the, we break the moral law. And so... Our sin has to be atoned for, and God would not meet with them until their sin was atoned for by the blood offering on the mercy seat. And God said that this death of this couple was an atonement. It was a shedding of blood for atonement for the nation. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? And we know what's going to happen to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be the ultimate atonement. He's going to be the final atonement. There is no more atonement after Christ, after Christ comes. But this is how serious this was for the nation of Israel. Idolatry destroys a nation. Uh, our founding fathers, if you've been watching the film series on Sunday night, you just know our founding fathers, our nation cannot survive when we're an idolatrous nation, and we are, and we're on the downhill slide, and I'm not a prophet, I don't know how long we'll last, I hope we last until Christ comes again, uh, but we, we are destroying ourselves, and we're doing it because we've rejected uh, the God who created us, and the God who promised to redeem us, and we're going after idols, and the idols are our culture, it's, you know, They're just unlimited. Idols are unlimited. Everything created can become an idol. Our obsession inside of us can become an idol to us. Our our glorification of self becomes an idol to us. And so uh, this is so serious that there has to be atonement. And thank, thank the Lord, because of Christ's atonement, we're not put to death physically immediately after we sin. I'm guilty of sin, you're guilty of sin, and God didn't kill us, and, it, and, and he doesn't because Christ made an atonement for us, and we're already under atonement. Our sin is judged, and we suffer because of it. We suffer in this life, and we'll lose reward in the next life. Even though we know Christ, even though we're blood-bought by him, uh, that would be, uh, there, every sin goes to judgment. And uh, even though I've been forgiven and I have an eternal home in heaven, I'm going to be, my life is going to be evaluated by Christ and rewarded accordingly, or the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned accordingly. And I've told you a dozen times, that worries me. That worries me and makes me repent and uh, say to the Lord, Lord, uh, what a waste of so much of my time and my life. And the things that I've, uh, the things that I've done. That doesn't mean we don't have a life. We don't enjoy the world, the things that are created. God, uh, He's the author of every good and perfect gift, and every good and perfect gift. I mean, when you eat lunch today, that's a good and perfect gift. 
even if it's bad for your cholesterol. You know, it's still a good and perfect gift. It's God providing it. God providing it. I just had a thought. I'm going to give you this thought. Robert and Marlia gave me a little book for Christmas. Don and I had a little book for Christmas called, uh, it's, it's a book of liturgy. Now, see, we Baptists are not liturgical. Liturgical has a sense of that I say something and you respond, and you know I say something and you respond. Donna's family was here last weekend, and so we had, she fixed dinner, and so the very first time I said, I'm going to read to you a liturgy out of this book, and we're going, and and I'm going to say these words, and then you repeat the words that come to your part, the course, whatever, and you know what it was about, and here's one of the things that stuck in my mind, and really, it was very moving, I thought very moving, it was to me, and I think to the family. But it said that by this act of feasting, it was a liturgy on feasting with friends. And, and by this act of feasting, this is what it said that stuck with me. By this act of feasting, we know that we live and die. We know we're alive. We, we know that we're in the presence of God. I'm just paraphrasing. I'm not saying exactly what it said. But it's an act of war, it's an act of peace, it's an act of being alive. And you know, we are. And God created us to be alive and to be alive to the world and be alive to the gifts that he's given to us. Be alive to each other. Be, be, be alive to our spouses. Be alive to our, our families. To, to, to be alive and to rejoice in his goodness. Our, our world is crazy, isn't it? Our, our world is crazy. And it's getting crazier, and I'm not talking about the United States or politicians, but I'm talking about our world. And yet we, we live under the hand of God. We live under the hand of God, and we should rejoice every day in the goodness of God and, and, the, and the grace of God. And um, so when this atonement comes, we live under the atonement. Um, I, I, my mind just goes wacky sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes I've come dressed, and my wife didn't see me this morning because she's not well, and she would have told me that shirt doesn't go with those pants. And uh, you know, and you know what I've told her? This is the argument I use. I can win any argument with her because I make it about the world. And I say, you know, you know what shape our world is in? Our world's just going crazy, and you're concerned about that little old bitty thing. <laughs> so I win every argument, except you don't really win. You, you, you know, you, you might you might win. You're losing. You're losing if you win. But so, but but you understand, we should think that way about our life. We should think that way. I mean. You can get in a political discussion with someone or you can get in a moral discussion with someone or, or you can be belaboring the state of our world or I read this morning a little blurb that the death toll already is over 33,000 uh, from the earthquake in Syria and uh, Turkey and, and, and we can let those things just totally overwhelm us or, or we can say, God, you've given atonement and I'm living under the atonement and I, I have this hope, and I'm, I'm going to dwell in hope one day. I'm going to dwell in your presence, and today I'm going to live in your presence. I, I'm going to live with 
joy in my heart because I'm forgiven. I'm going to live with gratefulness for the food I eat. I'm going to live with gratefulness for the house I live in and for the and, and for the, the, the blessings that you give me, not just physical material, but the people in my life, for a church, for, for, for people who, who care about us and, and love us. That's what the atonement brings to us. Don't forget that in your daily life. Don't get, don't get overwhelmed and depressed and despondent about the things that happen in your life. And I'm not minimizing pain. I'm not minimizing sickness or agony or, or death. I'm not minimizing any of those things. They're real. But our hope remains the same. Our, our hope is not diminished by those things unless we allow it to be. So God said this is an atonement for the whole nation, this act of zeal for the Lord. So then we read this about this couple, verse 14. Now the name of the Israeli who was killed, who was who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Shula, the leader of the, of the father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kobiz, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of the father's house of Midian. Now, why are they named? I, I, I don't really know, but I know they're, they're named for a purpose. And so when I think about it, I think they're, they're named... And they're named because they're leaders, and they were, they were, I don't want to say prominent people in their nations, but they were known people. So they would have been known, because they're, they're, they're part of uh, houses that were significant, and, and they would have been known. And God is saying that judgment is equal to all people. It doesn't matter about your social status. It doesn't matter about how much money you have, that, that everyone is... Everyone is the same in the sight of God in, in judgment, and for your sin, you'll be held accountable. I think they were named because the children of Israel have a history, <clears throat> and their history is going to continue, and they're going to read these words, and they're going to say, just like us as we read them today, that we, we need to not be like that. We need to not fall in that same type of sin. We need to be very careful that the things that I treasure in life do not become idols for me. That they do not stand before me and my love of God. That they do not, they do not take away from my love of God. And, and we can be obsessed about things. Can we not? <clears throat> we can be obsessed about our home or we can be obsessed about our golf game or we can be obsessed about whatever you're whatever your life is, exercise or fitness, or you can be obsessed about the food that you're prepared, how you prepare it. There's just everything in our world can become an idol. Everything. Our pride in self can become an idol. Our, our self-evaluation uh, of thinking, I, I'm not like other people. I don't do that. I don't give in to that. I, so I, I'm smarter than other people. I'm more intelligent than other people. I've I, 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 you know, everything can become an idol. Lord help us. We're sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner, and uh, we we sin. So God gave this name to them. You know, <clears throat> if if sin is not judged, our children, this nation of Israel, the children coming up, 
who are going to go in the land and, and dwell there among idolatrous people whom they're not going to drive out because they're not obedient to the Lord. They're not going to drive them completely out. They're going to allow some of them to stay in the land. They're going to dwell among them. And if these children did not see that there is a judgment for sin, they're going to fall in the same trap. So these people were named, very important people, they were named so that the children of Israel and we could, say, could, could believe that this is the judgment that will come. Nobody's exempt. And we need to, we need to beware. You know, today, uh, that's why I think that online personalities and Twitter and Facebook personalities and uh, sports personalities and movie stars and television stars and singers they have such an outsized influence in our world because we never see the downside. Now, if you read the news carefully, you'll see that somebody committed suicide or somebody got a divorce, but that's not what you see in the Super Bowl ads. I mean, see, the, the, the upside is that we see their glory in themselves and we see how that they sin and they can have multiple partners. They can do whatever they desire. They can dress however they desire and, and perform. And the world gives them adulation, and there's no downside to it. And I'm saying to you, our kids see that, and they hear that, they read that, and, but there is a downside. There is a downside. But we, that's not publicized very much unless it leads to a suicide or something like that that gets published. Interesting. And so you need to be in communication with your kids about reality. You need to talk to them about the reality of the judgment of God, that no one is exempt from the judgment of God. And then we read this, the latter part of the chapter. And then the Midianite, verse 16, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plagues because of Peor. So harass the Midianites, attack them. Okay, here's the imagery for us. Here's the application for us. Uh, again, the Midianites were involved with the Moabites, and so evidently they're the people who had the most influence, and the Lord is saying that you need to attack them. You don't be neutral toward them. Don't be neutral toward the cause of your sin. Don't be neutral toward the cause of this plague, but you attack them. So here's the New Testament. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Don't give in to the lust of the flesh. Here's a couple of scriptures. We're to push back against the pull of the world. Um, here's what uh, Philippians 2.5, you're familiar with it. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, not considered robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man, he became obedient even to the death of the cross. So let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. Humble yourself. That's, that's, the, that's the issue of this passage. Humble yourself. Humble yourself to the Lord. Don't, don't exalt self, but humble yourself. And then another passage you're familiar with, Romans 12, 
1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Holy means set apart. We're presenting our body. We're presenting our body. It means that I'm governing my life, every aspect of my life. My finances, what I watch, what I hear, what I think about, uh, every aspect of my life. I'm presenting it to the Lord. I'm presenting my body. Holy, I'm setting it apart. So here, and it goes on. Acceptable, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Only reasonable. When Christ is my atonement, it's only reasonable that I respond in grace to Him. I respond in love to Him. I respond in obedience to, to Him. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't think about just today. Don't think about just what you have in the bank or don't think about just what you are eating or where you live. Don't think about your blessing today. Think about your position with God, your standing with God. Think about your eternity. Live with eternity in view and, and, and live with eternity in uh, in the present today. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you will be blessed if you live in the presence of God in this, in this manner. Well, this is an interesting lesson. It's kind of a negative lesson, kind of a judgment uh, lesson. And you think, okay, are these people ever going to get it? Are they ever going to learn? And the truth is, No. The flesh never changes. The, the lure of the world never changes. Uh, we have to work at being, at being spiritual. We have to work at being obedient. We, we have to work at submitting ourselves. Uh, we, we have to be very honest with ourselves and, and repentance. Uh, you, you know these things. I know these things. I'm preaching to myself. We have to say... That what I thought was sin, what I, what I said was sinful, what I said was selfish, that's sinful. What, what I desire is sinful. We have, to tell, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to let the Word of God judge us and respond accordingly to live in the presence of God and to be a spiritual person. You have to do that. It's not what we know, it's how we are. It's, it's how we think. It's how we desire. It's all of those things. And the only way we can do it is present ourselves before God regularly and honestly and say, as the psalmist, oh, God, search my heart and see if there's any iniquity within me. And, and then, Lord, forgive me. If you have a problem, you, don't, you can't figure anything out by yourself. If you're married, ask your spouse. They'll help you out. So pray with me. And we'll go. And then, if you'd like to help with the bill tomorrow, see Linda on the way out. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this terrible incident was recorded for our learning. Lord, help us that we would not be like this couple uh, that's made an example of. Lord, I pray that you'd help us that we surrender ourselves to you and and live, uh, Lord, before you with grace and honor you in every aspect of our lives, and be blessed because of it. Lord, live with joy in our heart in your presence. So please help us by your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.